This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Mulder FK, Performance Analysis and Academy Coach, Eric Laurie. He discusses his work within the Academy and how they use performance analysis to aid their player development, the processes he goes through whilst analysing games, and the pro licence paper from Andrea Perlo and how this informed his thinking. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please help us in growing by recommending it to a friend. I hope you enjoy. So Eric, first of all, I appreciate you jumping on. Um, as we've just caught up just before, you have had a match tonight. So I know you've been running around a little bit trying to sort stuff out. I guess first and most important question, how are you? How is everyone? Are you all safe and well? Um, uh, thanks for having me on, Michael. Um, everything is going good here. As you, we discussed earlier, I had the match tonight. So it's been a bit busy getting home and uh, getting, getting through the match. But uh, now we're here. So yeah, everything is good on my end. Perfect. So, obviously, I came across your work on um, social media, some of the analysis work that you've done, which I thought looked really good and really interesting, and we'll kind of go into that a little bit later on. Just for those of you, uh, for those people that aren't necessarily aware of your background, etc., you just want to go through, I guess, what uh, your current role is, what club you're at, um, I guess, a little bit of a summary how you got there? Yeah, um, I can start with uh, my current role. I'm working at uh, Mold FK. In, uh, in, in Norway, uh, predominantly around the academy. Um, uh, I guess my, I have two main roles, which would be the head of academy performance analysis. Um, that covers, we have a reserve team, uh, under 16s, under 14s. Uh, we also have a, a women's team or uh, yeah, girls team in our academy as well, but we have another guy who works, who works there with me. Uh, also, have uh, working as an assistant with the under 16s. Uh, so that's um, that's my main role right now. Uh, I've had a quite a few different roles in my time in, in the club. I've been there since 2000, 2014. It, I started here, so um, I've had roles as a head of the pre academy, which is like our under eights to under tens after school stuff. Um, in charge of our football schools, football camps. Um, used to work with the under 14s. Done a little bit of stuff with the first team around the analysis side. So, also some. I actually, when I started out of the club, it was as a as a keeper coach. So it's uh, pretty much a little bit of everything. But uh, as you said, now it's started to, um, I guess, uh, go a bit more into the analysis. Is maybe my my main role, and that's where I probably will continue going in the future as I, uh, I think it's impossible to know, but, uh, I, um, but before the club, then I, I moved to Norway in 2012. So I started in the club in 2014, as I said, I just started doing some keeper stuff and, um, I actually got in, I was taking my master's degree in the, in Mola. So I started in the club through that just, uh, got to know got to know some people working there and got a bit lucky getting my foot in the door uh did some coaching in back in the united states uh, at a smaller university so that's a, i had a bit of a coaching background scouting before i before i moved to norway so i guess that 
that's pretty much the, the short version, I guess. So this is a bit of a random question, but why Norway? Uh, uh, a bit of a jump. So why, why, why Norway? That's a easy, easy answer. Um, my, my wife is Norwegian, so it's uh, just uh, happened to move here. We met in the United States and uh, moved here. We moved here together after, after we finished school in the United States. Okay, makes complete, <laughs> complete sense now. So in terms of Mulder as, as a setup and as an academy, can you just talk through what the academy setup actually looks like? What age groups maybe you run to and from? And, um, you know, games-wise, what do you guys do for a games program? Yeah, um, I guess let's start, uh, start at the top of the pyramid. We have a reserve team, which is um, mostly mostly under under 20s to under 17s uh, in, together on one side. Uh, their, main, um, their main series match, uh, they play in the, what would be the, the third division, which is the fourth tier of Norwegian football is their main match arena. Uh, they also have a under 18 national series, which is against the other, the other clubs from the top two divisions, their junior sides, which is under 18 national league, they call it. Um, and yeah, th that, those two, those two squads are filled up from the reserve, the reserve team. Uh, there also can be some first team players maybe coming back from injury or needing some game time who might jump in with the, with the, with the third division or uh, second division, yeah, team there. Then we have the under 16s, which is uh, our main our main series or league is the under 16 national, what they call it in Norway. Um, that's just again the academy teams of so the other top two tiers, you know, their academy sides. Uh, we also Sometimes, just uh, in our club specifically, we maybe have one one year where we have a pretty big um, group of players from that age. So then maybe the next year is quite small. It's just uh, we have a really small, uh, really small area where we recruit from, I guess. So it depends how many players each year is quite uh, up and down. So sometimes we'll also play in the under 16, um, I guess we call it local division with our under 15s and under 14 players, just to, you know, since we're recruiting, but then we play up, up one or two years there. And then um, we also have under 14s, which is uh, playing the same as uh, 18s and 16s with the national series against the top sides. And then the, that group is com comprised of uh, the under 13s and 14s. So they will also play in the under 14 local series as well. So we have quite a few, quite a few uh, match arenas where we, you know, mix and match and make sure everybody gets enough, enough game time and uh, put players in their right, uh, their right matching what's, what's best for them at that time. Um, and then below that we have, like I said earlier, the under under eights to under tens in our after school program, which is a bit more. That's uh, no recruiting or anything. There's just uh, any anybody can join and just to you know get get players familiar with the club, familiar with the the way we we do things in our models and stuff like that. Uh, and then um, uh, there's also a 
we call it the player development groups where we, before they get into the academy, where we, you know, we'll maybe invite some players and have some trainings, which is maybe one way for us to see see the local players that aren't currently in the club and um, give other players a chance and, and, you know, as opposed to just going to matches and looking and stuff. So there's a few different ways that we can do recruiting through that. So in terms of recruitment of players, do you stay localized with your recruitment or do you kind of go nationwide? How does that look? Uh, basically, um, Molda is one of the, uh, I don't have the exact numbers, but we're one of the, this actual city is one of the smallest that has a team in the, in the premier division. And we, we, we pretty much only, our academy is pretty much only local players from the, you know, we're 25, around 25,000 people in the, region area city and pretty much most of the academy is from stay local and it's i guess it's the it's pretty the culture here is pretty respected uh, as far as you know where clubs and where players belong to i guess you would say perfect and obviously within like the uk etc and experiences out here every kind of club has their own identity of what a player might look like or a way they might like to play you hear it a lot in terms of like the west ham way or the southampton way or whatnot is is that the same over in uh, norway does each club have their own identity of the type of players they recruit and the type of way they'd like to play um i think um on the surface, you could uh, you could definitely say, you know, the academies have their how their ideal type of players and the, the you know the way they want to play and stuff. But if like a just like I said, you know, twenty five thousand people in the area, it's always we have to be we're open minded to um, you know not, players are going to develop at different stages and different in different ways. So um, you know, it's it's I guess it's more more as you know. Finding the, the finding the talents and the players we feel that we can have a chance to work with, and um, you know, then then develop them and form them a bit more into into our our system and the way we want to play once once they've joined, if if that makes sense. And if I was to come and watch you at a weekend or watch one of your sides at a weekend, what would I expect to see? Um, what would I expect to see on the ground? Ah, that's a that's a good question. Um, we um it's something we work on quite a bit as far as our identity and how how you know how we would how we would look from the outside or the inside for that matter and uh you know i would say most of our sides were you know we're you know moving with the modern trends you know which we, we have teams that like to you know control possession you know as most teams like to we have teams players that like to press high and, um, you know, as an aggressive style where we have a lot of players who can dominate one-on-one -on -one and at the same time work collectively as a team. That's, uh, I think we have a lot of players and coaches who, you know, like in a aggressive attacking, attacking style. And I think, uh, I think you could see that if you came. And in terms of a working week for you guys, how many sessions would they do per week? Um, what type of things would you work on within that? And on game days, I'm assuming, is that Saturday, Sunday? Like, what formats would they be in, etc.? Uh, um, everything is a bit uh, a bit cloudy 
as from the from the past year obviously so things have schedules have changed and um everything the way we have work has changed quite a bit but uh for the national the national series it's uh, typically a weekend match um saturday sunday um but right now you know for the last three four months we haven't been playing matches and then we will typically have um between four to five football sessions in a week um as well as uh, strength sessions two to three uh you know maybe not just strength but uh, physical i guess would be the better word um and then uh, you know we always tie in bits of analysis you know before the training before the if we we just started with some training matches and we'll bring that in um, before the match and uh, maybe some meetings outside, you know, before and after the training. So a typical week with, you know, four or five sessions um, uh, and the two to three physical sessions, you know, maybe right after the, right after the football is done. Perhaps. And is that across all those age groups you discussed earlier that are within it? So like 14s up? Um, I, I can't say that I have complete control on the under 14s, but I'm, I think they look quite similar. And the reserves will maybe have one or two more football sessions per week. They have uh, an agreement with the local schools so they can get uh, players out during the day to come in in the mornings for sessions and then maybe some stuff in the evenings, afternoons as well. Yeah, similar to the day release program we have over yeah. here that you can obviously release players and allow them to catch a work up at different times. Um, and in terms of like a curriculum, etc., do you have a curriculum in place that you guys have to work from? Or are you able to kind of guide uh, the learning depending on what's happened during weekend fixtures, etc.? Yeah, we, uh, uh, I won't go too much into the details on that. That's, uh, you know, obviously a bit... Uh, club specific but we do have a, a cycle that we go off of and you know prepare our weekly our weekly sessions off of this off of the the cycle you know, which uh you know replicates and relates to our our game model and of course then we'll build build off the back of that for the matches but you know as you would know working you know the, everything isn't so black and white all the time so depending on depending on the opposition for that weekend, we you know we might have to have a little different, um, a little different uh, specification on what we might be working on compared to, compared to our curriculum or the cycle that we're in. So, but for the most part, we have a, a pretty, a pretty uh, set uh, schedule that we work on, but of course we have the freedom to, to do what we feel is best in, in the time in the week. So, yeah, and obviously you, you mentioned before, and I see I said the word I seen a lot of it was performance analysis based. So I guess my first question is, what drew drew you more towards that compared to all the other roles that you do or slash have done? And um, what was it about that that really stood out? That's a good question. Uh, I guess I guess a few things. Maybe I, I've always been interested a bit more in the tactical side. I guess it's just uh, just you know watching all of the the Premier League is most, uh, you know, the most popular league most people watch. And just pretty much all the leagues, there's just all these new, always something small, always something changing. I've always had the interest in the tactical side. So I started, uh, you know, just, I guess, 
just kind of trying to beg, push my way in. I was some a bit friends with the first team analyst back back a few years ago, so just try to try to see how they're doing things and see what they're doing, and uh, uh, just started going from there. And then once the the academy was looking to fill that position, and I was from within side already, so it just ended up working out that way. And I, in addition to that, I think I think maybe perhaps it it might fit my personality just like the a bit more than coaching I guess it's maybe a bit hard to explain but uh, just you know taking the time and going in a, a bit deeper into the tactics instead of you know right then and there on on the pitch or um, uh, maybe I'm just just uh, a bit a bit more a bit more laid back I guess than uh, than the coaching style so obviously it's, you can change uh change the way you work depending on the role but it just it just uh, seems to suit me a bit more i think i guess what you're alluding to there to a degree is like the space to be able to be analytical as well if you like that side to really delve a little deeper the footage is a great you know opportunity to go and do that and you know i know particularly in america the culture out there regarding watching footage and your, you know your nfl and stuff is your quarterbacks earn millions and millions because they spend hours and hours in film rooms doing that type of stuff and that's a, that's a big culture out there so for you having that analytical background it probably helped how did you go about upskilling yourself within that because like you said you came across it wasn't necessarily the initial path you went on so what did you do in order to get better at it um and yeah how, how did you go out about learning the software or what did what software did you use etc yeah um that's a good question. Um, I get that question quite often, actually, from, you know, just I've been on a few other podcasts or something like that, or maybe some talking to somebody on LinkedIn or Twitter. And it's a question that comes up quite a bit. And it's, there's, a, there's no, there's no, I don't think there's a, a blueprint or a pathway for everybody to take. It's just kind of, kind of your own way. Like I said, I was just always trying to be around it as much as possible with the, with the old analysts in the club and um when you know once if if you get lucky enough to have somebody help you along the way uh just you know like i said start uh started with them i've taken uh, always looking for different courses online i've probably taken three four five different courses in the last few years just uh random ones that you find online or just to uh, work a little bit a little bit more of the performance analysis side um i just watch watch as many games as possible i guess uh it's just it's a it's a it's a it's a difficult question to answer it's just when you when you really uh are into something you just always try to find a new way to improve yourself in that i guess and have you delved into the use of st statistics around your performance analysis work as well? Have you done anything with that or or not? Uh, a little, can you be a little more specific? So in terms of like GPS uh, statistics or, you know, number of final third entries or anything like that, are they type of metrics that you use? If they are, how do you use them? Okay, yeah. Um, the GPS actually, that we have a... A whole nother guy with that role in the academy so he's I, I don't uh i don't worry too much about that as a coach myself i'm you know interested in those numbers and we, 
have discussions around that, but with the analysis role, then that's, uh, I don't focus too much on the GPS and that kind of data. And uh, the other part um, is actually something, something that I, in the last year or so I've been trying to develop. It's, it's not um, the analytics side, I guess. It's not, it's not my main focus. I focus more on the video, the performance. But, uh, you know, always trying to improve what we have for the players and the coaches. It's the numbers and the, the data is something I've tried to implement into the, into the, you know, the content that I provide to the coaches and the players. But it's not, um, I wouldn't say it's an important thing. It's just more of a, something I'm working on trying to implement right now. But focus is mainly on the, on the video and the performance side right now. And so in terms of getting the players to engage with the footage, um, I, I imagine you've got all different learners within the groups. Some, like we've just said there, might really engage with the numbers. Others might not care less. Um, and then some might really engage with the footage and others might not. How do you go around setting a provision in place where, I guess, people are engaging with it? And what does that look like in, in your context? Um that's that's uh like you said the players are different they're all people and all people are different so some of them are quite quite into it some of them maybe not so much and i guess we have to give them give them that freedom to you know take take it in a bit more if they want and maybe take a step back a little if they want to um when we have our sessions before the trainings with the video then of course all players are present and you know, we try to have an open discussion around there, but as well, we're uh, we're also utilizing Huddle right now, so I can, me or the other coaches, for example, we can send a lot of stuff out there and try to get discussions going around there, and that's that's going to be a little more, a little more hit or miss with the players, and like, like I said, they'll have have the freedom and not gonna not gonna force them to you know watch watch all the video on their free time, but at the same time, if they want to spend as much time as they want that's great um we uh, every match every match will be tagged and coded and all the clips will be put out so they they have that option available to them um but as far as getting them to engage that's a another ever i guess evolving evolving process that we try to come up with new ways you know of course one discussion we've had a lot and i've spoke with other analysts that i've that i've uh, come in contact with quite a bit is <clears throat> the difference between us providing all of the you know that they always have the video but us as the as the club or the analyst providing the clips to the players and you know telling them this is what the, this is what you're seeing now this is what could be this is what is good this is what could be better um trying to open that up a bit more to the other way where you know they have the tools they have the videos but you know maybe they can take out the clips themselves and bring them to us is uh it's a it's a balancing act i guess as far as how much you know outside of school how much extra time they have and how how much interest they have in that but you know at the same time they're all academy players and should be should have that hopefully have that desire to get better and learn more so that's definitely something like i said we're working on and evolving at all times there's no again there's no blueprint or you know, black and white there. It's just from week to week, the month to month, the 
a little bit different how we how we can get them to engage and it's always always looking for a, a new way to try to get them to look at those clips if, if i'm sure yeah, i think you know what i mean there yeah for those people that don't know what huddle is um we have access to it um which is actually it's a really good tool could you just explain what it is as a platform and then what you're able to do on there to help the players i guess learn and also engage with it i uh, just uh i guess the, the simplest way to put it would be maybe just like a internal club youtube channel perhaps it's uh with all every match that we play and a lot of the trainings that we have are just put out for each uh you know the reserves under 16s under 14s have their own group and all that the games will be available to them as well as uh watching the full games there the each instance uh will be tagged or coded however you want to phrase that and that's for example if they want to just look at all the buildups from one match or all the goals or all of the corners or, you know, each phase is broken down that way. So they can quickly access those if that's, if that's, you know, part of our curriculum for that week and that's what they have time to look at. Um, that's basically, that's, that's how we, and they can also, also take out clips themselves that aren't already pre pre clipped. So that's, that's basically how we, we are using, using huddle right now. Yeah, and I think one of the real strengths of the tool is like the analytical stuff you can do in terms of drawing lines or circles, etc. on there to really highlight players and you can comment in and around it. I think one of the interesting things um, we've used it for, which you might have experienced with, is where um, players are sending clips to me saying either I did this really well or I don't understand what happened. Um, and then you're able to open like a dialogue online and say, well, you could have gone here with a little arrow, you could have gone there. It's kind of like an online Sky Sports being able to annotate everything type of type of deal, which I think has been really useful for the players at our end. I don't know how you found it with your guys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially under the circumstances in the last year when we haven't uh, been able to meet in person quite as often. We've definitely, like just like you said, you know, have, have that back and forth and, you know, then then it's maybe a bit easier, not, not so, not so formal all the time, not, not perhaps not so much pressure on them to come in and sit down with them and maybe turn it into a formal meeting, but just a little more casual. They have the, the time to do it when they want to. And, you know, if, if you just want to send them one or two clips, you don't have to call them in after training or before it. And it's just, uh, like you said, it's the, put the arrows on or highlight the things and, let the players come with their own opinions and ideas and you know it's happened before where they've they've showed showed me something that I didn't see and then uh, you know you can learn from the players sometimes as well so it's a good, it's a good tool i suppose the the holy grail for you as a an analyst is players coming to you like you said there with clips and asking for help around a subject area or around their individual development area or what that is it's them coming to you and saying there's two or three examples of stuff that's gone either well or wrong here. Can I have support on this area? And then you acting off the back of that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, definitely something um, like it goes back to the previous question where how can we get them to engage? So it's, um, it's, it can be a bit up and down with that, but uh, some players are definitely more interested in some of them. Just, they love that feedback and they love the, 
love that love the back and forth and you know always want to learn more so um yeah that, it's a it, it's a it's a fun fun experience when the players want to learn more and you can you can have that that chance to to share that information with them so in terms of like when your um feedback when you were providing feedback for the lads are you able to do that live kind of next to the pitch or next to the session or is it always retrospective to something that's happened the day before or a couple of days before um as of right now we don't have we don't have a live on the pitch uh, feedback uh we i do often do live tagging and then it's you know available quite soon after the training or after the match to show them but as far as on the pitch with the ipad that's not something we're uh, we've started to utilize yet no and so for you as a obviously as you said you kind of have got a crossover of two roles where you're a coach and you're an analyst how do those roles work hand in hand and is there anything that as a coach has improved you as an analyst or as an analyst has improved you as a coach is there any examples you could give around that uh i think actually both both being an analyst has improved my coaching and and being a coach has improved my analysis i, I think it's uh I personally feel a bit uh, lucky that I get to experience both roles at once because um, working as the coach on, you know, during the matches, how you can make adjustments, it's maybe a bit easier. It's made it a bit easier for me to see, see things while it's happening as I, you know, as I've watched a lot more matches under those tactical circumstances. And as far as being an analyst, um, being an analyst, off the back of being a coach it also maybe it can be a bit more realistic with what you're looking at um of course i don't i don't know what it's like to be an analyst without the coaching background but i could imagine maybe maybe it maybe you maybe get some unrealistic expectations of how things might look or how things could play out or develop uh or different expectations of of the players or the teams but you know when i have that and not only the, the the tactical sense of what the team should be looking like, but I'm also working with the players all the time as well. So maybe I have a bit of a better understanding of what what they're capable of under certain circumstances as well. So I guess that I guess that helps quite a bit as far as um, as far as working closely with the players and as the analysts to <clears throat> to find you know circumstances and situations where where we could improve or where we were good, which is also also maybe the way that I like to work best is re reinforcing the the good as far as as opposed to fixing the bad. So um I think uh I definitely think working as a coach and analyst for me personally has helped has helped both both ways. I think it's an interesting concept what you've said there because I, I would imagine when you are sitting in a, a office or studio or whatever and you're looking back at footage it would be really easy to go well if he did this he did this he did this almost like a computer game or subutio and put everyone in the perfect position whereas by you coming at it from a coach's perspective you might know Liam who's playing right wing and actually he's had this specific instruction to stay a little bit higher 
on for the counter attack or something like that, it might give you a greater impact into what the individual maybe need might be, but also how an individual can then affect what everyone else does. Yeah, um, when you asked me that question, it, it just, I guess it's not something I've thought, thought of so much before, but it just kind of hit me right when you asked me that question. And uh, I definitely, it definitely working with the, when I'm analyzing the under 16s, the team that I'm coaching as well, there is instances, you know, like you said, where I can maybe see what we, what we spoke about in the practice before. And then it's, as opposed to when I'm looking back at the reserve team matches, even though I, I know most of the, I know all the players and I've coached most of them in the past, but I'm not, I'm not there at every training and every match meeting. So, you know, even though I try to have that, that relationship with the coach, you know, what we're looking at, what they're, what they're, what they're trying to do. Um, there might be, might be an instruction that he got previously at a different training that, that I wasn't aware of and, you know, like you said, mate, why is why is he just standing up there and not coming back? It, it's happened before where I'm maybe not completely aware, but you know that's also my job to have that relationship with the coaches on the team that I'm not a part of to you know know what know what we're looking at and know what they're know what they're trying to uh, trying to develop and what they're trying to do in each match. And do you think by watching the, the amount of footage that you do? Because I imagine you're going to get through loads, both kind of with your teams um, in-house, but also just the amount of football you're naturally going to watch due to the kind of role you're in. Do you think it's allowed you to pick up patterns or strategies within game quicker? I, I definitely, I think so. Um, it depends a lot as well. How I'm watching the match is another question I've been asked before. You know, uh, if I'm watching a if I'm watching a Premier League match on a on a weekend or something, you know, maybe maybe I don't have full attention on. There's other stuff going on in the house. Then uh, maybe maybe a bit more ball watching. I don't know if that's how you how you guys would say it, but you know, just yeah, and, yeah. you know, tend tend to watch what's happening with the ball. But if if I have a a bit more a bit more freedom, a bit more uh, quiet. Uh, quietness around me then then I tend to like you said I, then I've tend to watch the matches in a different way where sometimes uh you know a goal will happen and I don't even I don't even know who perhaps even shot <laughs> shot the ball because of trying to look at this just depending on who's playing and what match it is with different structures and different patterns uh, so it's not always always right on the ball and have you seen, over your time working in this, have you seen trends moving through football? Have you seen different, uh, yeah, again, have you seen like people stealing ideas and it become common thread through the top teams? And if you have, have you seen any examples of that? Uh, can you give any examples of that? Um, I, one thing about that is uh, when you're analyzing and watching different games, I, it's it's not always possible to know exactly what what the coaches are trying. So I I try to I try to avoid that too much as far as you know thinking I know what they're trying to do because it's easy easy to see see something the way the players are lined up, but that could just be coincidence if you know what I mean. Uh, like if 
if you're looking at how they're spacing the field or how they're, you know, positioning and supporting the ball, it could just be, you know, they might have not got that instruction. But um, as far as the as far as the trends go and stuff, I think you know we're seeing a lot more of the. Uh, it's been quite a bit, a lot of discussion lately around around playing playing out from the back, building the play. That's definitely. Uh, I think that's definitely something that's fun to watch and seeing how different coaches and different teams go about that, you know, how, how, how they'd like to draw the pressure or maybe, you know, spread where they're going to put the fullbacks, where they're going to put the central mid and how wide they're going to put the central defenders. So I think playing out of the back is and building the play is one of the, one of my favorite, um, favorite things to pay attention to right now. And also, also on the other end, the way, the way teams are setting up once they've established their attacks in the final third, you know, seeing the different <clears throat> different way the numbers to overload the back line, whether it's a five v four against the the back the back four, or teams maybe in like a two two six type of shape formation. So, I would say those two, the build up, how they're doing that, and how they're how they're forming their shape in the final third are perhaps my two favorite trends or ways to look at the game right now. And is there any particular teams that stand out to you in both of those areas? Or is there any teams that are particularly unique that people, that some they may have heard of, but is there anyone that they might not have heard of that you'll go, actually, they do that in a really different and unique way? Um, as, far, as far as the unique teams, I, I haven't had, I guess I'm, don't have a ton of time to watch watch anything outside of the the big the big teams right now. It's, you know the Premier League and the Champions League and stuff like that. So I've really really been quite interested in the way Manchester City has been has been playing lately. As have most people interested in football. Um, uh, a lot of stuff that a lot of stuff that Liverpool does as far as you know putting putting numbers into the attack and stuff is. Uh, it's quite interesting in the way the way that they're defending in numbers. Um, I, I won't say I have any any unique teams to look at. Uh, I've, you know, ma mainly the Baker teams. What I have time to watch. Uh, I, a lot of stuff. That even though Juventus hasn't hasn't had the the best of seasons, I'm quite interested in the way Pirlo has developed his uh, his team. So I've been watch trying to watch them when possible and. Just the way that they're they're setting up and defending in and out of possession, and the way they're attacking. So, yeah. Have you seen changes from them from last year on the Sari? Uh, that's that's a that's actually a good question. But I, I didn't particularly watch them too much last year. Okay. But this year, I was just something about parallel. Well, his um, his pro license paper was made available. Okay. I don't know if you've ever if you've came across that at all, but I found that on Twitter at the start of the season and to see it was one of the first times I've ever really seen a coach's thoughts written out and so to see that and then to be then to look for that in the game is was quite I guess that's what drew me to to watching them because you we can see or know how he's thinking and what they're what they're trying to what they're trying to do so then you know, you can check check that and compare it to his his game model, which is pretty much what his paper was written on. So 
that's okay that's I mean this is going to really challenge you because I appreciate the start of the season but would you be able to give us like a couple of the headline points or summary of what <laughs> that paper said or some of the things he highlighted within it let's see um a couple of things that stood out to me is, and I think this is also maybe applicable to a lot of teams or some teams now is the structure and the roles of the players is, is a bit less, you know, if a player is set up on paper as a right back, then it doesn't mean he's going to just, you know, play the functional role of a right back, but he's also going to have, it's more of, it's more of uh, interpreting space and stuff, you know, where, where they need to be in relation to the ball in relation to the rest of the team. So it's, a, I guess, a bit more freedom in, in building their shapes and building their patterns as, as opposed to just uh, static up and down the right, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, he's also, he also had quite a bit of, um, quite a bit of detail in the way that they wanted to, defend and counter press um just where where they wanted to win the ball back and you know they a lot of times in possession they're attacking with the three three central defenders but out of possession they will defend in a 4-4-2 <clears throat> i haven't i haven't seen a lot of them in the last last month or two but that's how they were starting the season def attacking with three central defenders but defending with not two central defenders so the the in and out of possession shapes are different, which I guess we're seeing a bit more, you know, teams maybe attack in a 4-3-3, but defend in a 4-4-2 at times, different, different things like that. But um, I would, if, if, uh, if you can find it, I would definitely recommend uh, having a look at it. It's quite interesting. Is it in English or is it in Italian? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I found the version I found was translated to English. Yeah. Perfect. I think everyone will be scrambling around on Twitter trying to find that because uh, that'd be really interesting. I think one of the things you've alluded to there that, uh, to be fair, I've been having discussions about, which is quite interesting, is um, the evolution of the game in terms of people using different formations, both in and out of possession, but also kind of throughout a game. You look at... Um, the books that were written on pet like confidential and all that type of stuff and they discussed how we move from different shapes throughout a game and i'm a spurs fan for my sins um and i think that potentially could be one of the the challenges from Mourinho is that everything i've heard about him was that his opposition reports were second to none you know he was really really good at identifying what the opposition did and being able to counter that but I think we've got to a stage of football now where if you counter one thing in the first 15 minutes, the coach almost goes, okay, we'll change what we're going to do slightly. So this is how we're going to press you if you're playing 4-3-3. So the opposing coach goes, okay, well, now we're going to go to three at the back. So how are you going to do that? And I, I, I get the impression with him that might be one of the challenges he's facing in terms of having to evolve the way he coaches from what would have been very opposition analyze based to now you can't really analyze a team properly because it changes so fluidly throughout a game right i i, I wish i could remember now but i i actually i don't remember if it was pep or Mourinho. it might have not even been one of them but i have seen a quote quite recently it was a little video interview where they said pretty much just what you said you know the 
the teams are so fluid that it's just uh, it's almost not worth analyzing what they're going to do, and it's better to spend spend the time focusing on ourselves, your own self, about how how we're going to approach the game, and not like you said, the other team could just change like that, and and then you just have to you know focus on your own self. And I guess working at the academy level, that's uh, that's something that we're more or I'm personally more used to is focusing on ourselves and how we're going to go about the about the match as opposed to getting a detailed opposition report. And, uh, you know, we, of course, it's nice to know, it's nice to know a bit about the opposition, but working with the academy players, it's more about developing them and our own game, our own game model, as opposed to adapting to the opposition. So I, I definitely agree with what you're saying there. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a quote recently with um, a guy called Russell Martin, who's the coach of MK Dons, and he, he was talking about um, that, that people were criticising him for not having a plan B. And he was like, my plan B is to do plan A better. Um, and I think that's the kind of what you're alluding to there in terms of you've got to focus on yourself and make, look to make improvements in whatever areas either you're doing really well or things you may be struggling with rather than spending your entire time looking at the opposition. Um, in terms of processes for you, so if you are... Um, sitting down to analyze a game um maybe it might be the game you've done tonight so what what process would you go through to get kind of all that clipped up would you have particular things in mind or we just kind of go where the footage takes you what does that process look like from start to finish um typically uh specifically for our, our home matches and i usually will um tag live code the match live and that just looks like um, like all instances. That's the whole the whole game model, all phases, all set pieces, all transitions. Um, and that's done live as as much as not as much as possible. But if not, then then I'll of course you know watch it watch it the next day if it's an away match or or something like that. And um, usually before before the match, and I'll have a with my own team. Obviously, I'm in the match meetings. And if not, I'll have a a meeting with the other coaches about you know how how they're setting up for that week like we went into earlier with the our curriculum and how they're going to approach that match so then on top of on top of taking out all of the all the the clips then I'll have a maybe an extra button there to take out some plus some you know positive or negative along that goes with the curriculum in those phases so um, as an analyst, I guess it's <clears throat> one thing I've learned is it, it's important to maybe do some small, tedious work now to save your time, save yourself some time later, if that makes sense. Is, you know, if I'm going to sit there and watch the game live, then maybe hit that extra positive button a few more times as opposed to going through all of those clips the next day, you know, ha have it available quicker, ready you know, because the weeks go by so fast with training every day, maybe one, two matches a week, anything you can do to save the time and um, have the clips ready and move on to the next one. So a lot of that coding is linked around like other team targets for that week or what individual targets are. And you've got obviously the, the access to be able to press the buttons that then clip and tag those for you as you're going along. 
Yeah, right. Just, you know, the, the KPIs for that particular particular week or maybe the team in general. Uh, uh, yeah, just try to try to always add a little extra positive or negative button on the side where I can label the label the codes and pull them out easier after the after the fact. And does that change when you're looking at the uh, bigger teams? So if you're watching Man City versus Liverpool, would that be the same process you go through? Or when you're looking to analyse them, would you would you go for a different process? Uh, if I'm going to watch, um, if I'm going to watch a Premier League match or something, I I'll usually just sit there and watch it live on the TV, and you know, not going to do if it's a if it's a match I'm really really interested. In, maybe I'll go back the next day or on the next weekend and take out some clips just for myself personally or something like that. But um, no, I, when I'm watching those types of matches, it's try try to be a little bit more for enjoyment, I guess. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, it makes sense because I'd imagine if you've got your analytical brain on all the time, it, it could be hard to switch off. But I was just co- curious as to whether, if you were going to watch one of those games, whether you went in with a theme to look at or whether themes just kind of come out as you're going along. Yeah, I would say... I would say a bit of both. Like I said, the, I'm always trying to recently look at the, the way teams are building up and stuff. And um, yeah, but uh, it's not all—it's not always where I can sit down and watch the match from start to finish. So it just just depends on the day, the match, what what uh, how I'm feeling that day, I guess. Yeah, in terms of where performance analysis is going, where do you see? Um, what would you see like the holy grail of the department both I guess internally but also externally how would you imagine it being what would the best practice be for people using that type of uh, system and software to help player development and player performance Um, I think uh, maybe I've touched a bit on this answer earlier and that's uh, as far as I would say two things that we're working on that I'm working on in our academy um, is you know like the data. I think uh, it's it's not something I'm personally really good with yet, but it's something I'm I would say I'm interested in and interested in developing and for myself and the academy and the players is the uh, you know interpreting the data. You know, but obviously as an analyst, a performance analyst. It, it's it's just off the back of the video. It's just something to supplement, something to help. I don't think it's um, obviously the only way we can look at the game, but I think I definitely think the data analytics can be quite useful to you know back up back up what we're seeing and see if it, if it matches the eye test. But of course, we always have to you know believe what we're seeing as well. But I think I definitely definitely am interested in where the data is developing. And then, as far as um, as far as the video and how how we're how we're going to go about using it, I think that's always always something that can be developed. You know, and it's it's not gonna it's not gonna ever be perfect because if you, as soon as we find the the best way to do that, then that's gonna you know maybe get boring for the players after three months of watching this five minute uh, you know sequence or something like that. So. I think as far as as far as um, 
engaging the players and sharing. It's just always to come up with something new and always uh, a different way to a different way to share, a different way to engage them. Like I said, getting them to take out the clips is something currently where I feel it's uh, a good way to go. And uh, <clears throat> you know that that could look different ways too. It could be an individual player asking them to take out. Asking them to take out individual clips of themselves. It could be asking them to take out uh, team clips, or it could be, it could be, you know, putting putting the back the back line together after a match and having them sit down and and take out uh, clips of you know the build up, or having them take out clips of the rest defensive. You know, are we positioned correctly there, or you know, maybe putting the right side together after a match, the right back, the right central mid, and the right wing, and you know, or ask ask them to take out some clips of where they're combining good or where they could, you know, position themselves better in relation to each other. So I think there's always uh, – I, I don't think there will ever be a, a best a best practice. I think it's always just going to be developed and, you know, maybe we'll go back to, back to square one in a few years and do it more simple and then just keep going from there and just always keeping the players engaged, I guess. Yeah, I think this, it's a real interesting space. I mean, I've had different uses of it. Um, I think one of the things that the, the kids that I work with really liked was just the shot graph. So, you know, we were able to clip up all of the shots they'd taken over in a day and then produced a graph off the back of that of where those shots went. And it was a really nice visualisation, the fact that most of them went straight at the goalie. Um, and it was just something that we then on the next fixture just said what did we learn from our shot graph last week and they mentioned shooting at the goalie so what we're going to try and do today it was something really small in their head but as they're playing focus here on the corners I think you know the ability for us to create that shot graph essentially came from being able to watch the footage so I think that was a really nice way of doing it but if you did that every week that might lose its appeal um, one thing I think they do in rugby really well um, from people I've spoken about is like captain's runs throughs on Friday. Um, so rather than the coaches taking a session before the game, the, the players do it and they go through certain sessions and it might be like you've alluded to there, actually on a Friday afternoon, you provide space for the defenders, midfielders and strikers to go and pre-brief themselves on what the tasks are for our unit over the weekend. And then we're going to revisit that on Monday to see, did we do that using the footage, et cetera. Um, but I think what, you, what you're essentially saying is variety is the key. And if you try and do it in one particular way, it's going to get tedious and boring. So actually dipping into all those creative ideas of how you can use it is probably the, probably the best way to go. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's uh, variety is... Variety is key, you know, nobody, nobody wants to sit and watch the same clips week after week in the same, the same presentation. So it's just, uh, you know, a, a football match is going to be broken down so much to where, you, can, you know, they can be broken down further, I suppose, but what you can actually take from it in the general sense and, and move on and how you can, how you can adapt that to the players, so. There's only so much motiv uh, motivational music you can hear during videos as well, I guess, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, um, so I've got one last question. There's something that I ask everyone, which is who's the best either player you've played with or against or coach or, for your case, analyst that you've worked with or against and why? Uh, 
I guess I'll have to take take a take the easy way out here. And it was when I first moved to Molda. Uh, Solskjaer, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was coaching coaching at a. He was also coaching at Molda, but he was also coaching a, coaching his uh, son's team in the, the local side. And we met met them in an indoor tournament. So I would I would definitely have to say when I was standing on this on the same sideline as Solskjaer against him was definitely the definitely the easy answer there. Has he changed now he's at Man United or is it the same person between the two? Um on the touchline I, at least. Ah, that's a that's a difficult question to answer. I, it's uh that was a long time ago. So No, that's fine. Listen, Eric, I really appreciate your time and I think there's loads of really good considerations that people can have around the analysis space and how it's used and as I said earlier, I'm sure everyone will now be on Twitter looking to find that Perlo paper. So um, fingers crossed we can we can try and find it. But I uh, really appreciate your time. Hopefully catch up with you again soon. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. It was a, I appreciate it. It was a good chat. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.